This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back, friends, to the show that someday might end. We're not sure. We keep finding things to talk about. This is the DLR <laughs> DLR Cast, the only podcast by and for fans of the mighty Diamond David Lee Roth. As always, I'm Steve, no relation to, as far as I know, Roth. And uh, no relation to David Lee, as far as I know, Roth. Joined, as always, with my very good friend, Dangerous, Darren and Debonair, the Dangerous and Debonair, Darren Paltrowitz. <laughs> Neither of those things are true the way that things are going today, but uh, Our- I'll, I'll take it. And uh, a pleasure to connect. Steve, you're doing great. You're- I am, I'm feeling great. I'm doing great. I was, you know, we're back now, I think. Well, we what, this is the second episode in nearly as many weeks, two weeks, I think. So basically folks i guess and we're flying darren's flying a little bit blind you i've had and him and i you and i traded some texts early in the week i've had this thing in my head about all these various dave songs we uh, the new stuff aka the john five sessions tracks i guess we can call them and we got a whole bunch of them about a year ago uh starting off with i think it was somewhere over the rainbow bar and grill which was dedicated to eddie and i just really wanted to focus on these tracks for a bit because I've been saying for a while, you know, we now have seven tracks, six of them available on the streaming services, which uh, actually eight tracks, because one of them, there's an acoustic and an unplugged version. The release schedule for, for, (laughs) and I say that facetiously because it doesn't seem there to be one. We got a bunch and we went, ooh, and then there comes the Van Halen cover tunes, uh, right, from the Henson sessions. Uh, We just did in two hours sessions. Yes. And then we had another season of the Roth show, which apparently is on hiatus again. So there was some focus on the podcast. Uh, oh, and don't, we- for, don't forget the, the graphic novel, which had some of these tracks and one or two more in there. Before yes. I'm like alligator pants. Right, right. So before I get into the positives, let's let me jump into a couple of things that have driven me crazy. One, the so-called truncated, bizarre release schedule, because depending on your math, we're either four to five songs away from having a full album if they recorded 10 or 12 songs. There's, Like I said, there's been seven total songs yeah. released. Um, and just so everybody knows, I'm going to, th- I have a link in the show notes to a, a Spotify playlist I put together. Cause one of the oh. things with all these songs, because I've listened to these songs in bits and pieces and I've listened to, I spent a good amount of time with them, but what I didn't do is put them all together and mm-hmm. listen to them regularly as I would like an album. And damn it. He says as he smacks the table. I actually like most of these songs. I like them a lot. There's the overriding theme I think I get from this entire almost an album. I really get this sort of Jimmy Buffett sort of vibe. It's all very laid back. It's kind of some of these songs have kind of a beachy sort of feel, kind of tropical. We knew going in that these from the stuff that we've heard John Five say over the years about this, that it's more laid back. It's a more rootsy feel to it, right? He alluded to Damn Good, the amazing song from Skyscraper, uh, in some early talk about this stuff. Uh, So that's a positive. But as far as a couple of the negatives, one, just how they've been coming out. Uh, Two, it's it's really haphazard. So for instance, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Manda Bala came out. Yeah. On only on YouTube when all the previous songs were released everywhere all at the same time. Finally, a week later, Mondabala shows up on Spotify and the streaming services. Uh, a song that I've actually turned it really into loving. Uh, a song that came out before, right before Mondabala, the shit that killed Elvis. <laughs> Two versions: one Technicolor, which is all plugged in, and then uh, un- an unplugged version. 
um, which I actually love. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but those are not on Spotify. So when you see that Spotify playlist, that'll be in the show notes uh, in the order that I like the songs in that I might kind of by my favorite, so to speak, as I rank them, uh, the shit that killed Elvis isn't in there yet. Now, tomorrow, maybe it shows up on the streaming services. In my mind, there's no excuse for these things not being released everywhere. There's also no excuse for not having some basic credits here. I mean, yeah. mention John Five on guitar, Greg Bissonette on drums that we know of. John Five's probably played bass. And... I believe so. Brett Tuggle, I believe, on keyboards. And I believe it's Luis Conti on percussion on at least one of the songs, too. That's not a name that winds up in a lot of these reprints and articles. No, no. Uh, so that's kind of the things that drive me crazy about <laughs> about this stuff. Um, you know, it's interesting when I spend more time with these songs. I mean, there's a couple of them where I'm like, all right, we, I just listened to the whole song. Was there a hook in that? You know, <laughs> I mean. Yeah. I, look, you have been so much more positive than I'm going to be. And I have to harken back to something that one of my insiders and I do say insider because this person was in Dave's house multiple, numerous times and all that. There are certain things, if something happens like in 88, I'll go, okay, this is the person I ask. It happened in 97. Okay, this is the person I'll ask. Because Dave's had kind of a revolving door of staff people over the years. Sure. Usually it's a two to three year period before he gets tired of you, accuses you of something you didn't do, and you never speak to the guy again. Uh one of the guys that I spoke with, I asked about the John Five album when we spoke a year and a half, two years ago. He goes, there is no album. There's a bunch of rough mixes, mixes in different states. So what I'm getting at is I think that John Five sold us a an, an accurate bill of goods, to put it correctly. In other words, I don't think that there was ever a mastered or finished album for starters. I think that Dave is still tweaking these mixes possibly re-recording things for here some of the people listening to our show are going i've got professional ears this is auto-tuned this is fixed whereas dave's description is like oh man it's live in the studio these are the vibes man jack bro lightning bolts in your cheerios bro. he's doing that stuff on us and the people are going no i've got ears this is auto-tuned stuff right here yeah, so, the, so that's a couple of things I wondered. So when these do get out onto Spotify or make the public domain, are these final mixes that they're finally up there, regardless of how much they fixed them or what they did to them? I, on a side note, related note, I really love Dave singing on on most just about all these songs. I mean, he, regardless of how much fixing there may have been, it's a lot of it. To my ears, I can't always tell where the autotune might begin or Dave's vocals end and the autotune might begin. Um, there's some really fun vocals in there. So, but I'm wondering if the, knowing what you just told me, um, I think there's been an album's worth of material recorded. Maybe yes. there's no no sequencing as far as track one to track 11. Maybe there's, you know, I would doubt that there's that much sort of strategy to hey we're going to release these sporadically in the actual in the actual sequencing if we were to put it in an album you know uh so track one somewhere over the rainbow do you know what i'm saying i don't think there's totally there's a strategy to that and no now the thing is if there was extra tweaking done to it it's possible there was another guitarist besides john five added into the mix somebody that i'd interviewed two or three 
months back who she had multiple record deals. I don't know if I should say her name. Uh, her, her, her dad is music industry legendary kind of stuff that may or may not have worked with Van Halen. She said, oh, yeah, one of my friends is giving Dave guitar lessons now. So in other words, I think that Dave does have people to fix things. And of course, they're all under non-disclosures. So this is one of those things that uh, we wouldn't know even if this stuff was re-recorded. Well, one that's a good question regarding the guitars because so much of this is acoustic bass. And we know Dave is, is from what we hear and from, well, hell, even Eddie said he's a great guitar player, uh, acoustic guitar player, because he does that whole intro to... Dave Frosty. Uh, Thank you, Stay Frosty from A Different Kind of Truth. I'm wondering how much of maybe some of this acoustic stuff, bits and pieces of it on some of these songs that we've heard so far, maybe some of that's Dave. Yeah, when you look at the album credits to A Different Kind of Truth, which which is another thing we're going to be talking about during this episode, (laughs) Dave does have keyboard credits on that album. That's You are correct. That's right. Yeah, so are these things where Dave just felt like, hey, I want to show off my skills and what I've been taking all these lessons for and or control freak stuff and or were some of these sessions recorded so long ago that to fix and EQ things, you had to add stuff in. Because again, uh, the mystery or the jury is still out there. Were these John 5 sessions in 09, 11, 12, 13, whatever they were, these mixes were not completed until 2023, most likely. Right. So when things sit around for a long time, usually the person listening to it with the ears after the fact will go, oh, we should have fixed this and that and that and that. Now, we know that John 5 is very busy. Uh, one of my insiders told me that Dave and John are not talking. Uh, because uh, of, An arrow through my heart. It's <laughs> something that I think I mentioned on the last episode that Dave was not looking to be part of a documentary about John five, which ultimately never came out. And I think that once you go to the Nikki six world, who you can and cannot talk to is of course controlled in a different way than it would be if you were working for Dave, which is different from if you were working for Marilyn Manson, which is different from if you're working with Rob zombie, John just keeps getting into different situations where they go, you can be friends with that guy, but not that guy. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, he's one of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet. So, I mean, I've, I'll wave the flag for John Five. And I've, that, he's played with so many people. I mean, there, he's, there's more than one non disclosure agreement. I bet that guy has signed over the years or yeah. for more than one artist, you know? So, right. Although one of our listeners had a gripe with John stealing some of his artwork, but that's a different story for a different time. But anyway. Okay. <laughs> with uh is it okay to move along to a different kind of truth or are we still on well let me i just want to i just want to run through just here's my quick ranking right as far yeah. as here's how i dig the songs and this is how they reflect on the spotify spotify playlist we'll link in the show notes there but somewhere over the rainbow the song is dedicated to eddie which where i remember when we talked about we went but how was this dedicated to eddie when it was written maybe 10 years before he died <laughs> you yeah. know so and some of the lyrics are a little bit Odd mentioning, you know, with somebody yeah. else's girlfriend. He gave the song to Van Halen for a different kind of truth, and it was turned down. Okay. So, so, <laughs> which, it's so that's interesting because the song is very, like all these songs, kind of have this laid back vibe. I, you know, can't really hear in my head what Eddie might have done to it. But you know what's interesting? If you really listen to this song, 
here's how here's how I think Van Halen could have tackled it. The same way, uh, I think it could have sounded the same, uh, very similar to finish what you started with Sammy, which was had that kind of yeah. lighter li- lighter electric semi acoustic sort of feel to it, right? So good there's, pick. Yes. There's my two cents there. So somewhere over the rainbow, low red sunset, which has kind of got this laid back Dave sort of. It's almost kind of a bossa nova sort of sound to it. Cool lyrics. It's got the. Um, you know, I really love Dave singing on it, pointing at the moon. Yeah. Very cool tune. Really Rare good vibe. piano track for Dave. Rare piano track, but there's not much of a hook, which yeah. drives me nuts. Then you got Giddy Up, which I want to like more, but it's got that weird kind of, I'm not going to try to imitate, but it's almost two songs at one. That intro is very weird. And then it kind of slow, that thumping sort of, I can't describe it. If I worked I on this, thinking you. about this all weekend, about what drives me crazy about the song. And I can't verbalize it. If if I can verbalize, rudely yes. interrupting you in the process. Okay, if we go to that back to that DLR band album, which John 5 is a big part of, Slam Dunk and one or two of the other songs, according to Bob Marlette, were basically the product of John and Bob going, hey, wouldn't shouldn't we write a song that's like Hot for Teacher? And that's how the hook for Slam Dunk and all that came from. Right. And Little Texas is another great song from the DLR album. Yeah. Okay, now I think that this is him rewriting Little Texas. Giddy up. <laughs> I think he's rewriting a rewrite. Interesting. Well, you know, if you listen to a lot of these lyrics, like, uh, is it somewhere over the rainbow? He mentions the rhythm kitchen. I mean, there's some recycled lyrics and all these things. And I, well, oh, I'll yeah. get to, I'll get to one song here. That's got a completely recycled melody as well. But yeah. uh, so you got giddy up, you got nothing could have stopped us back then anyway, which if you remember the, the, the picture that you see that went up on YouTube and on Spotify and everywhere, there's the stack picture is a picture of the original Van Halen jumping in midair and yeah. that song, you listen to those lyrics, that song to me really kind of sounds like it, he's harkening back to the Van Halen days. And, and, you know, we know Dave, at least outwardly from all the stories that we heard, uh, the various iterations of the Ross show, he really loves to kind of get in that nostalgia mode, of it, you know? So, um, but yeah, nothing good to stop us back anyway. Um, and then as far as the Spotify songs, you got Mandabala, which we kind of, we're like, what the fuck was this last episode? But here's the funny thing about that song. That song is super cool and rocking until you get to the chorus. It's so damn cool. And then that hook yeah. with this, I'm like, ah, there's a weird left turn for you, which is a little odd. And then just real quick on the shit that killed Elvis. I absolutely love the lyrics. They're hilarious. They're really great. I love the singing on it. The two versions, like I mentioned, there's a rock version. There's an unplugged version. Uh Listen to it again. The melody and verses remind me so totally of the verse, the melody, uh, the melody and the verses of Hammerhead Shark from A Little Ain't Enough. Oh. Tell me I'm wrong. Go listen to it. You're, and go, you're oh, not yeah. wrong. But when it comes to reusing things, there's certain <laughs> phrases that Dave has reused in multiple, multiple facets. Like, for example, Crazy from the Heat is the EP. It's the lyric and going crazy. It was the screenplay title. Right, right. It, it's all over those places. That shit that killed Elvis, he's been using in so many places over the years. I remember him saying that in numerous interviews that he wanted to come out with a street, uh, with a, um, what's the term for a strain of weed called that? <laughs> he, 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 That's right. Okay, so I'm not making that up. <laughs> I do remember that. He grasps onto this one phrase and then it'll appear in like seven things over time. 
And <laughs> that's one of those. So when I saw the thing was called that, I went, oh, okay, I've, I've heard that one before. It makes you wonder, does he listen back to some of his interviews and the related responses and ramblings? He goes, oh, that's a song. That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I would think he's got a, I, I would bet, and I thought I read this somewhere he does, you know, he said, always keeps a notebook around where he's writing stuff in where something just ju jumps into his head. You know, it's like, right, Hey, there's right. a traffic jam in Tokyo. Hey, hold <laughs> on. You know what I mean? I don't know from the way, especially with the way, at least as we know, he used to travel. Yeah. Don't know if he still does travel anywhere near like he used to in the midst of all this though, of course, two days ago, and now at 28,000 views at YouTube, we got a new video called world peace block party, uh, which was some dance song set to the video of more stuff from no surprise, no holds barbecue. <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, it, so it in the so in the last two weeks you've got Mondabal from two weeks ago, uh, two versions of the shit that killed Elvis nine days ago, and then all of a sudden on Friday, and I remember texting you, go, hey, I sent it to you. There's World yeah. Peace Block Party just two days ago. It's like I just don't know the release strategy or lack thereof. I just don't get it. Okay, so this is what infuriates me the most about the state of the state right now. I think that while some of these John Five songs are good, they're they're, they're nothing amazing. There's nothing that I go that is a a song I have to hear again and again and again. There's nothing standout spectacular. A lot of them, I have to be honest, are half baked ideas. It's missing a chorus. It's missing a hook. It it should be electric. There's something that's missing. But he puts that out, and he pulls. A different kind of truth <laughs> in other words is there anything from these solo recordings that is better than anything on a different kind of truth or the dlr band album which is still missing and from what i've been told is never coming back because of embarrassment slash not liking to look back at stuff I so in other words that's he, he pulled mm. stuff that is far superior and replaced it with stuff which is far inferior am i wrong yeah i've had some of those same thoughts about these songs too where it's just sometimes they just don't seem to be sh shifting to fifth gear they come close it's it's just i've had that same thought with you like for instance especially like pointing at the moon um you know there's I, it needs a it needs a to my mind a better hook nothing could have happened anyway it's two minutes and 44 seconds uh, nothing could have stopped us back then anyway. I mean, it just it's almost like a spoken word piece with with, with a bit of a melody to it, you know, so it's like, ah, which is why when I heard the shit that loved Elvis with it longer, it's got a really cool arrangement. It's got a soul. It's got a little stop part. It's got some, you know, I mean, to me, I was like, ah, this is a finished song. <laughs> right now. I'm trying to think. What's that song? Are you a big fan of the band Big Star? And I promise this is related to what we're talking uh, about. I, I've always loved, I have loved Big Star. Yeah, I mean, just there's, yeah, as a power pop fan, yes. So there's this song on one of the first two Big Star albums that's an acoustic song that's about 90 seconds long. It's called like ST100 slash six or something like that. It's It's just an acoustic psychedelic song that goes for a minute and a half and you listen and it like cuts out before there's a chorus and you go okay to me that's what these david lee world songs sound like it's like we're gonna have a good idea but not finish that good idea we're not gonna edit it we're not gonna go through the whole process we're not gonna get feedback from any outsiders 
this is just what I feel like doing right now. Whereas yeah. I think that a lot of the stuff that we love from Dave had an outside writer or an outside person that could go, mm, just a little more work and we're good here. Whether it's a Ted Templeman or Steve I or an Eddie Van Halen. I just get the vibe that John Five was a hired session guy, regardless of co-writes. And then he didn't have final feedback on the mix, final feedback on the lyrics or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, side note, you were correct. It is ST100 forward slash six. And the song is just under a minute long. <laughs> yeah. That song, which is a great song. You go, oh, OK, that's that's a verse. Cool. And then it just cuts out. That's to me what these David Lee Roth songs sound like, where they're not fully finished. Whereas I listen to A Different Kind of Truth, which has again been pulled and Wolfgang commented as to why that is. And you go, those are great songs that are complete songs. Why would you bury that part of your legacy? Uh, the mystery continues. <laughs> yeah, so what the person had told me, and I don't remember if I said this on the last episode, somebody who worked very closely with Dave, who does not any longer talk with Dave, again, a common pattern, is that Dave is not happy with that album, partially about not wanting to look back, but partially because he was not very nice to Wolfgang. On stage, you might have celebrated Wolfgang, but backstage, he was very vocal about Wolfgang not having paid his dues. So anytime Wolfgang does an interview and does not say, Dave, that bastard, that is a guy who is holding back a lot of feelings. Uh, man, I'll tell you, I... I don't want to say that's not necessarily true, but. No, it is true. I mean. It is I, true. For people who are backstage with Dave, if Dave was around, Dave would outwardly say negative things about and to Wolfgang. In front of Eddie. Anybody. I don't. Uh, real. I, uh, yes. Man. This, this came from a person. How come sometimes I get so disappointed? <laughs> And, and this, how come sometimes this podcast just bums me out? This is all because he didn't feel that Wolfgang paid his dues. And that was that. I mean, how much dues are you going to pay at 15? <laughs> well, in other words, and, he didn't slog it out in the clubs. He didn't, but obviously he, could, he just stepped in and totally reinvigorated that band. He supposedly chose or helped choose the set lists. And uh, that reunion would not have happened without him. You know, I mean, he was, as a kid, he discovered the stuff with, you know, where did he go first? He discovered the first the, the greatness of the first six albums. Yeah. So, again, this is a kudos to Wolfgang for biting his lip and not quitting that tour, because when I think of the, the rash decisions that I made as a teenager, he didn't make any of those. You know, if you when you're working your crappy retail job as a kid and the manager mouths off to you, you just go, I don't need this. I'll quit. Imagine I, I'll, that. I think the pull of spending that much time with your dad, likewise, the pull of being able to spend that much time with your son. For all the people who are like so bummed out that Michael Anthony wasn't going to be a part of it, knowing what we know about that relationship, nobody should have been surprised. I mean, I get the feeling that if, if Wolfgang did not play a single note, there would have been a different bass player regardless. It would have been like a Bon Jovi thing where you would, the guy, the pictures just would have had the three of them 
yeah. and the bass player to be named later or nameless. Do you know what I mean? Uh, before, after 20 years, they finally go, yeah, Hugh, you can be in the band now. I mean, it's almost like a Rolling Stones thing. For God's yeah. sakes, let Daryl Jones be in the goddamn pictures, okay? Yeah, Daryl Jones mean? has been there since 90? He's been there longer than Bill Wyman was, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, when you go down this list of... Um... Is his name Rusty? The the guy who plays guitar for McCartney. The the people that are in McCartney's band. Right. Laborial Jr. Yeah, Rusty, yeah, yeah. They've been playing for Paul McCartney longer than than McCartney played with John Lennon. Yeah, <laughs> they exact exactly. They've been together for well, I mean, shoot, Tommy Thayer's been in, in Kiss yeah. longer and Eric Singer longer than uh than I think Peter and Ace were, right? So Correct. I mean you, um yeah. And then you look at Wolfgang having joined that fold in 2007 and continued through 2015. You go, he did legitimately, if my math is correct, about eight years in that band. Oh, yeah. And your math. Yeah. And he did a damn good job. I've, hey, I've said it before. I've said it on other podcasts. Uh, that is the 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 hardest rocking as far as bass sound, as far as that bottom end, a different kind of truth to me just sounds, has a bigger sound and I just love his playing. I love what he, I mean, it, that he added no knock on Michael Anthony and he's never going to touch Michael Anthony's vocals, but for what that guy did, as far as yeah. I, I'm sure he was the MVP on putting that record together. Yeah. I at the age of 17 to... or whatever it was. The, one of the interviews that I did, I, I think this was at the beginning of the pandemic with Ross Hogarth, who engineered that record. Everyone says, oh, it's a John Shanks record. Oh, it's a John Shanks. If you know anything about studios, usually the engineer has all the stories, did all the setup, did all the work. They're spending all, more time with the music probably than the producer was. Yeah. And usually you find out that a lot of the time the producer was barely even there or they showed up right before that first take or in Rick Rubin's case, not at all. <laughs> they just listen to the mixes after the fact, literally, because Rick Rubin has it in his head that um, that the magnetic energy of the studio is bad for karma or something I don't understand with philosophy. But anyway, Ross Hogarth and a lot of people have said a different kind of truth is basically made where three fourths of the band tracked the music and then Dave took that and put in his lyrics and vocals. And generally he writes his vocals around the same time that he's writing the lyrics. So a lot of his first take or like hemming and hawing over what he has. Yeah. So in other words, and he, and he had a lot of background, he had a lot of background vocal effects and different sure. things there. I mean, there's all sorts of shenanigans going in a good way. I mean that, you know what I mean? As far as when you really listen to that record, there's a lot more Dave on it than just the, you know, the lead vocals, but somebody who, <sighs> well, he didn't he record all his vocals at Henson studios. I believe so. Yes. And, and the band and the rest of the guys tracked the whole record at, at 5150. I think so. I don't I know if they also used an outside studio. I'd have to check credits. But yeah. I don't have it right directly in front of me, but that, that's my understanding. And in terms of the Dave, like I'll take it home and I'll re-record it later and write the lyrics and all that later that's how i heard about some writing sessions that he was doing in 13 14 and or 15 when he was trying to write some other stuff that's not this john five stuff in other words dave has been writing stuff uh that's right. not super out there i don't think that's public information um the people i spoke with 
do not register the songs if they don't get put out. That's what I'm finding. Got now, it. I have to correct something from an earlier podcast that an insider did tell me. Um, we've made fun of that How About Some Fire Scarecrow uh, Chemical Brothers thing where he just took a Chemical Brothers song and sung over it. And right. Then it just registered. It turns out that was cleared with the Chemical Brothers. The interview where the Chemical Brothers made fun of it and that kind of a thing, not true. The Chemical Brothers do not either re remember it correctly or their publisher just never told them that it was done. So that was a correctly done collaboration. It, so Team Dave never corrected the miscorrection. <laughs> My head's starting to hurt. <laughs> yes. So what I'm getting at is he is writing. He has written stuff since John 5. Where do you even go from here? I don't know. Well, where you can go from that is, can you think of any reason why a different kind of truth would be pulled and not put back up? Is it a renegotiation, tech, uh, renegotiation technique and not just that Dave doesn't like it? It's been off for so long now. I don't know. I mean, it's not part of the Warner Brothers catalog. Yes, uh, it's not. It, it, so it's near, it was uh, was Interscope, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. What do you think? You think it was Dave just not wanting it out there? I can't believe that he doesn't have that veto power like that, does he? I think he does. Hmm. Uh, one of one of the things I they're I, losing I, money, man. For God's sakes, you not know, substantial money. But then again, if you if you put it back into the Warner catalog, it's possible that they give you an advance or that's used to sweeten up the terms. So in the long run, by taking it off for a year or two, you actually made more money in the process. You see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. I feel you use that leverage chip. If they were to go, okay, put it back in there. Then when the live in Tokyo album expires with Interscope, then we add that in there. Is live in live at Tokyo in there? I believe I looked live on in Tokyo Spotify. came out two years after. I think it was a 2015 record. And so if that had a, a 10 year licensing deal like this one, then it's going to be up for another year and a half. Uh, yeah, live at Tokyo Dome is there. Yep. Yeah, I think these it's are up on Spotify. Yeah. Then if you're Van Halen, you go, okay, well, we're moving these Interscope Universal titles over to the Warner deal. Then we will tie up this, this, and this. Then we'll agree to the box set. Then we'll also agree to a live DVD or a live album, et cetera. And then suddenly a nice eight figure advance guarantee comes their way. I mean, I was harboring this for a long time and then not saying it, but now it's so old that it's just rumors. People were talking about in the Van Halen camp on the Alex side that they were working on archival live releases. So meaning there is stuff in the bank, but it's now been so long that you just go, well, that's up there with the 2004 box set, which had all the Dave stuff. Right. And this, this Sammy box set bothers me more because it doesn't include live right here, right now. But it also, it says like 86 to 96 or something like that in the spine. Well, okay, so it doesn't have me wise magic or can't get the stuff no more. Those were in 1996, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so you're missing the 93 or whatever live album, and you're missing the other tracks from 96. But then you have the songs from 2004, but the spine says that it's through 96. 
So get, getting back to it, because we were touching on this for a minute there, but, you know, this news, you know, uh, just the other day, Van Halen News Desk, Wolfgang Van Halen, David Lee Roth keeping a different kind of truth off streaming platforms. You know, So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Recent appearance on Trunk Nation with Eddie Trunk. Wolfgang was asked if he knew why it disappeared on streaming services. Yes, the contract ran out on putting it up on streaming services, so we can work on getting it back. But there are some people involved who do not like that record and not making it easy to get it back up. <laughs> yes and then he goes are that does that person have three initials that we know him yeah by? probably i mean yeah you could put it together i hate to say it because people will think i'm making stuff up but it's like man i'd love to have the record back up there but he doesn't like it he's not working with us to get it back up there so i hope people like it have a physical version of it he said oh man yeah so i'm further confused because some people I speak with tell me there's a lot in the Van Halen archives and there's other people who, who know stuff go, no, there's nothing there. Are you kidding me? There's nothing. You know, a person who was an insider in the late nineties, early two thousands was telling me the other day, Oh yeah. Dave was playing me a bunch of demos that he had done that no one heard <laughs> like that kind of thing. And I know that he wrote some stuff after John five and possibly after a different kind of truth that never came out. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was all a leverage, bring the stuff to Warner brothers kind of thing paired with Dave trying to get a box set of his own for his Warner albums, because he, um, that stuff is fairly out of print. I think they never did deluxe eat them and smile or skyscraper they never did the home video uh re-release right that or it's just he's leaving money on the table what do you think uh, a combination of those things maybe i mean i i hate to say it i wonder though how much oh, man i mean how much money would there be left on a table if you're going to put out like some uh, deeper cut version, totally remastered version of Skyscraper. I think if you do a box set and it's a huge legacy artist like that, does it sell 30,000 copies? No. Does it sell 10,000? No. Does it sell three to 5,000 no matter what the cost is? Yes. So if with... you come out with a $200 box set that has all the remastered stuff, the booklet, this number of unseen things these download codes there's always going to be five thousand van halen fans in the, in the world who buy anything that says van halen on they'll buy yeah. a van halen bowling ball they'll buy a, a van halen brake pad for their car or floor mat they'll they'll buy anything that says van halen on it just like kiss uh kiss have the to me the most brilliant thing are you ready for this kiss merchandising i just discovered this the other day all right yeah hit it they have a section in their merch store where you the fan can buy the gold or platinum record of every kiss title that was certified with your name on it <laughs> i'm not surprised but it's uh, the the commerce guy and he goes that's fucking genius that is so brilliant now van halen has what 10 titles that were certified plus singles and all that uh, yeah, even Van Halen three went gold. So, didn't it? It had to by now. I think it went gold. Yeah. So that is absolutely a revenue generator for any artist that has a catalog like yeah. that. I mean, 
listen, nobody expects Van Halen or most bands to to license everything onto everything. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't, we, no, I hope nobody's clamoring out there for Van Halen action figures or oh, Japanese, I, I ja- Japanese anime figures or whatever. But what I would love is some curation, some caretaking with the you know releases that we do have yeah and then deeper versions shit in the vault like we talk about all the time because you can not kiss all you want from a musical standpoint reissues remastering yes. uh you know this off the soundboard stuff they have been great i mean anybody can say oh you wish there was more someday i'll get there they taper i was watching some sound i was watching this morning of all things sound check footage from nashville the other night uh, mm-hmm. you know where they're doing like was it got to choose some other stuff and that is so cool what an experience i can only imagine how much it costs but there's a professional cameraman up there filming i'm watching videos of people shooting with their with their phones yeah. on the floor what doing the sound check thing but there's a pro camera guy up there you know filming who knows where all that stuff is going to end up i mean in other words Kiss has always been so nobody's been better at exploiting that legacy and i mean that in a good way yeah. But they've also been really good at protecting it. Now, you could say a Kiss Confident, and Kiss Confident, all the other stuff. Listen, it's been 30 years of genius marketing when you come to think of it from Gene, everybody. You know what I mean? There's there's no stone left unturned there, right? Yeah. So but from the other side of things, as far as as far as from a musical standpoint, they have really kept that flame going with quality and with really good stuff and it's not left up to the labels really it's up to it's it's left up to them what they what they want to put out there and what they want to see yes so the bigger axe to grind for me with all this is anytime dave would want to say as the excuse well so and so would never do this if you look at some of the marketing stunt things that the stones have done in the past couple of weeks related to their album Side and, note, I love that album, track two, Get Close. I can't stop playing, but that I'll jump off my soapbox. <laughs> they delivered, man. That's a great record. So, that you know, that, that's cool. The blues album that they did a couple of years ago was fantastic. That one I listened to a bunch of times. I haven't heard this new album aside from the single. But you look at some of the marketing taxes that, tactics that the Stones have done. Aerosmith, that they were touring around their original van at some of the gigs. Somebody told me that Dave did have an exhibit or two planned, but didn't follow through. I can't say much more about it. But there's all these things you can do if you're not ready to tour. But in the case of Dave, in doing those two Vegas corporate gigs this year, which were not a good look, why do you think that's the thing to do and put out, but not a different kind of truth. The professional John Shanks produced album that has Eddie on it. Where is the judgment that goes, you know, it's a really good look, a corporate gig where I'm mumbling through a couple of 80s hits. That's going to be a much better look. than The other, th- the other thing is <laughs> what protects and enhances the legacy. There's nobody doesn't think that a different kind of truth was a damn good effort, if not a damn good album. Yeah. There's nothing to be embarrassed about by that record. It's no. it's fucking killer. Everybody thinks that. Arguably the best reunion album I've ever heard by any band that hadn't been around for 15, 20 years. <laughs> I can't think of a better reunion album ever than a different kind of truth. I can tell you right now, it's better than Psycho Circus. Oof. <laughs> a Psycho Circus, which they found out that only one song had all four members of Kiss on it. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was studio cats for most of it. Yeah, it was, it was Gene and Paul and studio stuff. Yeah, Bruce Kulick played on that record. He was out of the band, you know? Everyone but Kiss played on most of that record. So I can't think of a better reunion album than A Different Kind of Truth. DLR Band's an incredible album that most of it holds up in a really, really cool way and shows up Dave's vocal register on a couple of the songs. Hide that stuff and and let's put out Giddy Up. Well, again, it's just bizarre, right? It's like, okay, you're putting up this stuff, you're putting up all this stuff with no old barbecue and weird dance mixes and yeah. showing up and showing up at some guy's bachelor party in Las Vegas, all this, you know, all this weird stuff, but going, I don't want a different kind of truth up there, man. You know, what fuck? So, Come so, on. So if he's gonna keep this up, I would say this is how <laughs> we <get> quit. <laughs> Uh, I'm okay with considering all the great stuff that Dave gave us I give him a little bit of a pass but I think if he wants to get everyone off of his back all he has to do is just put out one statement that goes like sorry guys I was going through some stuff like (laughs) just have an apology post or like uh, hey guys I know you didn't all love all this stuff but I promise more to come soon thanks for all your support you know do a humility slash gratitude slash more coming soon. All you have to do is give us one of those and we won't think he's lost it. I don't want hum- I don't want an apology humility. I can never see that happening. There's nothing to really apologize for. Listen, he's a he's a he's a bizarre dude on many, many levels. That's one of the things we love about him. But I think there's a lot whether whether it, whether it's credits to the John Five songs, whether it's just some details, some information, some you know better communication with this stuff instead here's some more you know footage from uh you know no holds barbecue with whatever with some dance song overlaid it with with people in the video who i don't talk to and me blurring out bart walsh look and a bunch of things that i never put out that you could actually stream or that i can monetize off of oh okay cool no just all you have to do is something like, hey, I know some of you have been frustrated, but more to come soon. Whether or not he delivers on the making it up to us, that's one thing. Just some kind of a statement, and I would get off his back about all this. But the lack of a statement is why I'm going to keep picking at him, because he's capable of so much better. Even if he was just going off of archival stuff, like this No Holds barbecued stuff, which we I shouldn't say we all know. We too, and the people as this know is old. Clearly, there's many people who don't know it because every time the comments are like, Dave looks great. Yeah, he really did in 2002. However, <laughs> this is not from 2023. How, <laughs> how much work would it be for him to just put out the audio versions of all those on a Spotify or, or YouTube thing? Hey, I would love would, that. Would, which reminds me, barely an episode of this podcast goes by without me extolling the virtues of Shine a Little Love. Great fucking song. Great song. <laughs> Mustang Sally. Thank you, Mojo Dojo, once again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, okay, what would it cost for him to do that? Uh, a thousand bucks for a mastering engineer to just QC it for an hour or two. DistroKid does it for free, if not TuneCore. I think it's $99 for an album. He's putting year. up new music all the time. 
we just went through seven songs of you know what I mean? Six songs. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this, this is a dollar investment that would bring back thousands of dollars within a month or two. I mean, there's no shortage of content that's going up there. I mean, so it's not like he's completely off the radar here. There's stuff that's getting up there. I mean, you if you just strictly look at all these videos, you go, holy shit, he's having a lot of fun. He's doing there's all sorts of crazy shit up there. Bravo. I mean, that's more yeah. content coming up than we're seeing from, you know, Van Halen. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. just some a lot of wackadoodle shit that is fuel for our podcast. And to repeat myself from earlier podcasts, you go, so in the last five years, he did all those Van Halen re-records. He's put out these John Five things, the digital comic, the Roth show. That's more output than most of his classic rock peers. But the fact that it's not all cohesively in one place would be enough for your average person to go, man, where is that guy? He's done nothing. Yeah, plus there's no, I mean, there's really very little. I mean, there was some for the, the graphic novel. Yeah. But there's no like press around this stuff talking about helping to get the word out about it. Do you know what I mean? I and mean, he's had publicists on payroll on I mean, and off the past couple of years. So I don't know what these people have been doing. I mean, how cool would it be if you showed up on one podcast, for God's sakes, where it's like, OK, we're just going to talk about the, you know, the music that you've been putting up. You know what I mean? And that's it. That's all I need to do. All he has to do is go on with this one thing. Go, by the way, everything this Darren guy's saying is a lie. He's a loser. Like if he did one of those Trump style, you know, and he, even if there is truth, you just insult the person to prove that they're Fake wrong. news. <laughs> <laughs> if he did something like that, I'm totally fine with that. If it meant <laughs> good Dave content, I'll take all the trolling as a sacrifice to get the good Dave stuff out there. I'll be a martyr for the Dave catalog. How's that? <laughs> And it goes without saying, he, of course, has an open invitation to show up at the DLR cast anytime he wants. That could be our final episode. Oh, I got to I got to say, did you see how Sammy was on the Bogus Otis? Yes. Congratulations, guys. (laughs) I meant to bring that up. That was fucking amazing. I love those guys. That congratulations. That was awesome. The bow hosts got the guy that the podcast is about. (laughs) When's the last time Dave has done anything related to Van Halen? fans or, or fan dr- fan driven right yeah. it's more like he only goes on the stuff that he th- thinks would not reach the fan base hence the joe rogans and and debbie melman and well Scott i think part Benz. of i think part of that might be a a long desire for him to like you know i think kind of get out of that rock star mold that he's that for 40 years is what he's all do you know what i mean it's always been i mean I would sooner expect him to be on any sort of podcast like those than I would before any sort of Eddie Trunk or other rock podcast. And then what are the podcasts that Sammy Hagar does? Eddie Trunk. Right. Classic (laughs) rock. His own fan podcast. But but you're right, though. That's where the fans are. I mean, where do you go to reach your fans? And I still, um, a few of the people who've listened to the show make the point that Dave should have been the spirit's millionaire not sammy you know who is more associated with the jack daniels bottle on stage 
Mm-hmm. And be drinking while, whether or not you're actually drinking, but pretending like you're drinking during the show. Dave, there's still time for him to have a hard seltzer or a CBD <laughs> drink or an energy drink. There's He really could do that. I, I associate him more with that than I do tattoo skincare myself. I don't think he goes anywhere near anything in liquid form because the comparison to Sammy is just way too much. That I, that horse left the barn phew, a long, long time ago. I mean, I don't think Dave's sitting around there going, I can't do it. Shit, I can't do alcohol. Barbecue sauce. No, shit, I can't do that. Wine. Fuck Vince Neal. Uh, hold on. Wait. Uh, do you know what I mean? Uh, uh, horse, horse sweaters. Yeah. <laughs> Dog whistles. But... But yes. marching to a marching to a beat of a different drummer. Hey, instead of that, I'm going to take helicopter lessons. You know what? I'm going to be in the EMT. I'm going to paddle around Hudson River. I'm going to fucking I'm going to do eight months worth of crazy artwork and donate to a couple. Which I love some of those paintings, man. Some of those yeah. were really really cool. Um, it's just again, it's it's this very disconnected. There's no cohesiveness to it. It just stops. I'm loving all these comic strips, trying to figure all those out. We spent hours talking about those on podcasts and then zip, nothing. And the funny thing is, you know, there's all the artwork. Then the podcast come out. The podcast doesn't even mention this stuff. It's so fucking disjointed. I mean, if you're going to all of a sudden put out a series of cartoons and all this other cool stuff, come back out with your podcast again to fucking talk about it. I have to rudely interrupt and point out something. You mentioned You're that. Never rude. <laughs> uh, well, debatable. A plain deal <laughs> here. The helicopter thing in the the uh, F the the EMT license and the FAA helicopter license. I believe both of them expired a long time ago. So, in other words, he claimed it. He let it lapse. A lot of these trademarks that he's doing, he lets them lapse. Well, so, I think a lot of those things is like I did it. I'm done with it. What yes. do I need an EMT? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it it was he did it. It's, I mean, has there anything saved for music that he has kept up at? And I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean, he know he obviously knew what his meal ticket was and worked out. But everything else outside of that, I think, as you know, music was really as much of a vehicle for him to pursue all these other things. Yes. the guy is always he'll be. I've got ADD. I'm restless. I want to try everything. That's a great way to live, man. You know what I mean? Anybody who chases those dreams and can try to make it happen, God bless them. Normally I say totally yes, agreed. But the John 5 stuff, he didn't let it die in the vine. He came back to these songs. This is the first project I can think of that he rescued out of the archives, unlike anything else. So it must mean something to him. Of course, he's not going to tell us what it means. No. But... Can you think of anything? Okay, actually, No Holds Barbecue. That's also a rare thing. He's rescued from obscurity. That's true. When you think of it, I remember thinking when No Hold, if you just look at, take Dave away from it for a second, but if you just look at what that was, that mm-hmm. was really freaking daring and kind of groundbreaking. It's wackadoodle shit. Nobody can figure out, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, The music's really cool. I mean, he did this in his backyard, for God's sakes, and and- Listen, there's twins and triplets and little people involved. I applaud all those things as much as possible. What somebody who knows stuff, uh, I because I, I can't, I have to come up with synonyms other than insider or former employee. <laughs> somebody who knows. Once again, stuff. We're, you know what? Why don't why don't instead of dangerous Darren Paltrow it should be deep background Darren Paltrow. <laughs> deep, deep cut Darren over here. Uh, <laughs> 
What they told me was No Holds Barbecue was part of a bigger plan, possibly leading to another TV show of his own or a series of, of projects in general. Because when I interviewed him in, in 02, he mentioned something during that interview of, and VH1 was just at my house filming for something. I don't remember what. He, he said something like, for this 4th of July special. And that, I don't remember ever seeing that. And then there's rumors from a reliable place that him and Sammy were being filmed for a reality show because this was at the peak of the Osbournes. Right. And I remember you talking me, about this. When I'm talking about the insider, it's not Mitch Schneider, who is a fantastic human being who's been on the show, who was his publicist at the time. Mitch said that he just got it from Dave and they basically went, yeah, you're you're doing this. We don't know what it is either. You're doing right. it. So it's not Mitch, but it's a person who actually knows who told me, yeah, this was part, this was Dave's next direction. Yeah. But that it's interesting because that's so disjointed too, where it's like all of a sudden it's like, well, now we have all the stuff. We don't know what to do with it. Well, let's get out there somehow, call a publicist. Do you know what I mean? It's like, where's the strategy behind that? Yeah. So, so it makes me wonder if there's a whole chapter of Dave's stuff we don't know about that he was taking meetings with different channels and different production studios and trying to pitch it because he thought, you know what, these days, what everybody's looking at is this, because just a few years before that, he was doing his web thing. Now, of course, we've talked about David Lee Roth.com head was under this company called Slaughterhouse. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. But Dave was at the forefront of web content. There was a song that he wrote for the Howard Stern movie called Private Parts that didn't make the movie and he repurposed it for the DLR band album. He put it up as an internet exclusive in 97. How many artists were doing internet only singles in 97? I've never heard that song. It's okay. It's, you know, it is what it is. But he was at the forefront between that and the Dave TV audio series he was doing through his website. Right. The internet is scrubbed. No Holds Barbecue is kind of like the graduation to the video format of that, of the real Dave TV, which is, you know, the beginning of the Just a Gigolo video and the MTV special kind of stuff. So, yeah, he had an early blueprint for so much of this stuff. And it just never for so many reasons we don't know. Nothing really came to fruition. So that's where I totally go. Did he forget? Or they're just like 80,000 things we don't know. And he just goes, ah, these people never understand. I don't want to get into it. Yeah. In other words, all these attacks for me are not going, what an idiot. It's going, we we, we want to know more. Yeah. It's the very reason for this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, the next time we tape one of these, we don't know if there's going to be another John 5 song another Van Halen re-record, the return of his podcast, uh, a painting, a graphic novel. We don't know. Will there be another corporate gig or two? It's right. thrilling and saddening at the same time. 
Well, we we do know, however, that there is one way you can get a really deep look into uh, a deep and intimate, intimate look into the force that is David Lee Roth and his truly unusual life and career. And that is through DLR book, How David Lee Roth Changed the World by none other than you, Darren Paltrow. It's coming out in early January. Links are in the show notes as always. I personally cannot wait to read that. I'm not sucking up, but here's somebody, here's a, here's a guy who there's, not been enough deeper stuff written into and you are just written about and you are just the guy to do it you can pre-order it at amazon Thank barnes you. and noble indigo if you're up in canada uh waterstones in the uk if you're over there basically wow. wherever you get books you can find it online to pre-order it and it's coming out in january is that correct january 1st i was not fishing for that plug no Thank i know you, you weren't i just always somehow <laughs> try to get a cool segue in some somewhere and i don't i listen i want this book to succeed because i love you dearly Thank and you. i i can't wait to read it and it's about day for god's sake so hell yeah let's make sure people know about it what are the odds that when i'm doing an interview in support of it uh that a person goes hey uh i have a special guest who's coming on the line special guests and it's Dave Dylan going, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds of that? Then you'll throw in the shoes. I'm not throwing the metaphorical <laughs> shoes. Hey, all this is said, uh, th- there's a famous professional wrestler named Conan. And anytime he throws out criticism, he goes, I'm not hating. I'm just stating. I love I feel that. We are, we are not hating. We're just stating. We want a little more info. Uh, I'll take... More of these John Five songs. I still don't think it was as great as we were promised, but it's they great. are really, really good though. Live with them for a little bit longer. I mean, that's okay. what I finally did the last couple of weeks, especially this weekend. And it just kind of the the hand hitting the forehead, going, why don't I put this all in one playlist so I could just pull it up anytime and listen to it instead of certain, you know what I mean? I mean, I got the songs liked, but whatever. I mean, I just I wanted them all kind of in a cluster almost the way you would an album. It's a little bit more than EP. It's less than an album. And please, please put uh, the shit that killed Elvis on the streaming services, which if past history, recent history is any indication, it might show up tomorrow or in another week. I don't know. There should not be a delay. Mm-hmm. It's not a YouTube exclusive. Get it up on the streaming services and make a few pennies and royalties, for God's sakes. Well, because of that song title, we'll have to mark this episode as explicit within uh, all the stuff. And ah, crap. Topics. Sorry. But- <laughs> Thanks, Dave. No, uh, please put the link to the Spotify place that you generated in the show notes. Yeah, uh, I will listen before our next episode numerous times. That's a promise. And thank you for doing that, Steve. No, my pleasure. I just again, it's uh, I, I do dig those songs and realize, man, yeah, coming out of the last podcast episode, I'm like, I've not given this enough time considering I'm a co-host on a podcast about David Lee Roth. I would, they would come out, I would listen to him and then I would just kind of fade from memory real quick. Cause you're on a different things. So I'm like, I want just like I would with an album. I want to yeah. live with these things a little bit more. And I never could because they came out in this sporadic way. Well, my last thing before I let you go, have you heard any of these instrumental Van Halen demos that people have been leaking that are rumored to be from Ted Templeman? I have not. Okay, do some digging. Let's talk about that in the next episode and figure out if they're real or they're just fan brilliantly made things. But it's really cool to listen to that stuff without the vocals and hear how these are still great songs without vocals. And they're up on YouTube. Yeah, they're they're up and they disappear. If you can't find them, I'll send you some some things that may or may not be on my Google Drive. May or may not be. Cannot confirm nor can, Can't confirm nor deny that. Exactly. Google will not be an accomplice either way. 
But uh, thanks to anyone who made it this far into the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Steve for the show notes. And uh, yeah, nothing but yeah. Love it. See you guys soon.